Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Dying No Seeing a Killer. Damn, that was... Should we, like, trademark that? I don't know. Maybe. That was good. Yeah. I know some people. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. We know some people in the biz. In the biz. I'm Koal. And I'm Kenna. Hi. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it first because it's your case. Totes Welks. Well, how yeah. is everyone doing? I'm doing okay. I am doing really well. I know you're asking the listeners, but still. I know. I was asking you too. Oh, okay. Just, you know, want to know about you. Because we've sat here for probably 30 minutes already recording some other stuff, and we actually haven't really, like, chatted about anything. We've it's just been, true. like, recording the other stuff and, like, not not talking to each other. So here's our chance. Yeah. Ad time. Ad time is always a fun time. When you do click on the links, it actually does show us how many times that link has been viewed, much like social media. So it does yeah. help us out. Uh, the more you guys take a ganda. Yeah, for sure. I just and... browse. I love window browsing. Oh, and I too. love internet window browsing. It's like <laughs> one of my favorite things ever. I like put things in my cart and then I just leave. <laughs> I do that <laughs> all of the time. The th- I did that earlier. I go, oh, this sale is good until tomorrow. And then I'll just <laughs> leave it on there and be like, I'll get to it. And then sale's over with. But that's great, though, because then it means that I didn't spend any money. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of... <laughs> Um, putting things in your cart and not buying them, I have a revision from the last mental breakdown that we did. So I um, mistakenly said that they're probably going to be coming out with a DSM-5R pretty sometime, sometime pretty soon because... Well, you were correct been, in thinking that. I was. Um, it came out l- early last year, so there is a new oh. revised version. <laughs> I thought you meant, like, by a few weeks. No. It was, okay. like, last... Like, at the beginning of 2022, they came really? out with a DSM-5R, so that is the revised version, like we mentioned in our episode, that will have new diagnoses in there as well. Mm-hmm. Some of them probably will be taken out as well. And then at the back of that book, there will also be um, reasons why they got taken out and the new verbiage, if there is. Sure. I looked it up on Amazon. That copy is about $120, $130. So it's a little bit more pricey than the, mm-hmm. the DSM-5. But again, definitely worth it to have accurate information, current information, Totes worth things I think. like that, and I put a little edit like in the actual episode. Like, P.S. By the way, we know that there's like a new copy. Yes, um, you know everyone makes mistakes. We just googled after the fact. So I heard oh. that. Like, it's so funny. It's kind of like the um, like, like the astral plane. Like, mm-hmm. it just like came up and I heard it. I was like, oh my gosh! Like, we just talked about that. I'm so kind of peppered in there. Peppered in. But yeah, that was um, something that I wanted to add. And I'm really excited to hear your case. Before we get started, I do want to mention our social media. We do have um, Instagram at Diagnosing a Killer. Actually, that is our handle on everything except for Twitter, which is at Killer Diagnosis. We have a Patreon set up. If you'd like to support us monetarily, you can do that there. And we do actually have another very, very nice Instagram message that I'd like to read. Coel um, obviously has access to the Instagram, but it's under my login. So she actually doesn't see the direct messages until I... Mm -hmm. tell her and show her. So this is going to be her first time hearing this. (laughs) It's true. So we did get a message earlier today and it was very sweet. So they said, hi, I wanted to reach out. Thank you for requesting to follow me. That's a great way to gain followers. Thank you very much. I listened to my first podcast by all today. I love true crime podcasts and I have caught up with all the ones on one of my favorites. And since I drive an hour a lot to my boyfriend, I needed another one to listen to. I found a couple I liked but not loved and looked forward to until y'all's. 
I love how y'all tell this story and go into the mental aspect as well. I listened to episode 35, but I'm super excited to catch up and hear them all. Listening to podcasts has helped me on my long drive since my mom has passed. Today is her birthday, and I listened to y'all's today. I didn't fully listen because my mind was wandering off and getting sad about my mom, but y'all helped me snap out of my sadness. Thank you so much. I am so excited I have found another great true crime podcast. I am excited to be a big fan. And then they also added in, keep up the hard work. I'll share with my friends. So that was really sweet. That's very sweet. And uh, thank you for opening up about, you know, the feels. Yeah, of course. And I, of course, I responded. So you can see that I respond to every direct message um, that I can. And we really appreciate you guys, you know, giving us your vulnerability, but also that we really like to know that we help people get some joy, you know, out of their day. And, you know, as much as this is a serious topic podcast with the, you know, the true crime part of it and the psychology, of course, um, we are definitely pretty goofy people, as I'm sure you've all realized. <laughs> and uh, we we think it's, you know, it's okay to, to be a little lighthearted in certain times. And so I'm glad that you guys are, are receiving that well. For so. sure, for sure. And I hope that uh, you find peace and closure. Yeah, absolutely. Same. Well, we are going to get into the case, and I'm excited to know what you're going to do. Today, we're going to talk about Susan Smith. Okay. So we're trying to do this uh, mostly every episode now, but there is a content warning, and it's going to be a blanket statement for this episode. This episode depicts scenes of suicide, sexual assault of a minor, and familicide, including minors. Although these topics are described in a sensitive manner, the subject matter may still be disturbing. If this episode isn't for you... We encourage you to find another one of our episodes. Remember, your mental health comes first and that we love you. We love you. Bye. Susan Lee Vaughn was born on September 26, 1971 to Harry Ray and Linda Sue Vaughn. I think it's Vaughn. It's V-A-U-G-H. It looks like Vaughan, but I think it's Vaughn. Like Vaughan. Probably Vaughn. (laughs) (laughs) She had two older brothers and the family lived in Union, South Carolina. When Harry and Linda fell in love, Linda was just 17 and Harry was just 20. These are Susan's parents. Okay. And they, uh, this was 1963. Linda was actually pregnant when the couple met, although she kept it a secret from her family and her friends and only told Harry when the couple became serious, to which he replied with a ring. So they got married. Okay. Already getting married super quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Within the first, like, three, three sentences. <laughs> They got married, and they gave birth to their first son, Michael. A few short years later, they brought home Scotty, and then in 1971, they welcomed their first daughter, their only daughter, their last child, Susan. Harry, although adored by his daughter, Susan, struggled with severe depression and started self-medicating with alcohol when the kids were very young. Mm. Harry, over the years, began to become violent around the house, specifically towards his wife, Linda, The children remember hiding whenever their parents would start discussing anything that seemed like it would be a tense topic. Oh, that's awful. Isn't that sad? I mean, I know people like that, and I'm sure that you do too. It's like, as soon as you see the conversation going somewhere, I don't know about you, but I, like, remove myself. I'm like, nope, I'm not going to get an argument with you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Harry also started becoming increasingly concerned that Linda was being unfaithful to him. To which seemed highly unlikely, since Linda was mostly at home with the kids, or was very transparent about her whereabouts. Harry was a long-haul trucker, and that's probably why he thought maybe she was seeing someone else, because he would be gone for lengths at a time. Okay. At certain times, Harry would threaten to kill Linda. Oh! And then kill himself in front of the children. Like, not 
kill her and himself in front of the children, but would say that in front of the children. Yeah. That's really fucked up. It's, yeah. And how old, they're, I mean, they're young at this point. They're young, yeah. yeah. They're, this is all while they're growing up. I think that, uh, well, Michael was, I think, maybe six or seven years older than Susan. Jeez. So if Susan was, like, four or five, which we'll get into, but yeah. yeah. God, that's terrible. The household was so tumultuous, Michael, Susan's eldest brother, would actually attempt suicide when Susan was just five. I think he was, like, 12 or 13. Yeah. Oh my god, how terrible. I think. He he was he was like mid teens or like young teens. A baby though. He was a child. Her brother was unsuccessful, thankfully. But he would be registered to a mental institution and would be in and out of institutions while Susan was growing up. Like all throughout school. Okay. Now with just two children in the house, Susan and Scotty, things only got worse. Many other parents and teachers would call Susan reserved, strange, and an overall sad child. So we're just going to comment on her yeah. behavior and her attitude. We're not going to, like, worry about, like, helping her get out of right. it. We're just going to make like make it known that she's a sad well, child. They probably didn't know what's but going on in the home. But she's a ask, maybe? Well, you know, <laughs> it's a different time. It's, you know, like the 1930s. Okay, if there's any people listening that are teachers or anything like that, if you notice a sad child, ask them what's going on. Ask them what's going <laughs> ask on. Ask them what's going on. Well, I think everything's so transparent nowadays. Yeah. Like this, you know, the For 60s sure. and 70s. She would often dissociate by staring into space and overall seemed aloof or, like, head in the clouds. Yeah. Which is probably what they thought. Yeah. Like, she's, she's the funny one that builds. She just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. She's just aloof. Yeah. Even with all the abuse in the house, Susan still loved her dad, and she always greeted him with a hug whenever he would come home. <sighs> Susan would be crushed when her mother filed for divorce from her father in late 1977. Oh, that's so awful because, like... Obviously, Linda has her reasons, right? And yeah. so it's awful. Like the kids, it's it's actually strange to me that Susan is still so infatuated with her dad. Like yeah. you know, she is still seeing him in this really great light, and then she's devastated when they get divorced. So yeah, clearly there was some sort of whether it was the mom or or the dad, there was some sort of you know masking the real real harsh reality of like the situation. Yeah, I think maybe just because she was younger and like. Maybe the boys were older, and I don't know, you know? I can't really understand. Yeah, like, maybe it was, like, a, you know, the mother's nicer to the boys and the father's nicer to the daughter. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Harry was devastated by this news, of course, and he only began to spiral more. Having had enough, just a few weeks after the divorce was filed, Harry came to the house unannounced, and he tried to force his way into the house. Mm-mm. He bashed in the windows to the house and tried to get at Linda and try to get her to talk to him. So in order to protect the children, she came outside after some time of him being outside. She had already called the police. As police arrived on the scene, they witnessed Harry strike Linda in the face. Oh my god. Fearing that he was a danger to himself or others, Harry pleaded with officers to take him to see a judge that night and not just be released from jail like the next day. Um, He was really concerned that he might hurt himself or someone else. Wow. I mean, that's saying something. So by the time that this occurrence had happened, Linda had actually started dating someone else at this point. She had been seeing a man by the name of Beverly Russell, or Bev for short. Bev was a staunch Republican and a member of the Christian Coalition, which I looked it up. You don't have to. They're fucking terrifying. Oh, wow. Bev was a divorced father of three, and all of them were, like, older than Linda's kids. So they they were already grown up out of the house. 
Of course, this only hurt Harry much more. It seemed like it was kind of this ready-made family, and Harry was just kind of, like, pushed out. Mm. On January 15th, 1978, Harry would ultimately commit suicide by a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the abdomen. Oh, my God. Ouch. He, He did not die right away. He was actually rushed into surgery, but he would succumb to his injuries. I feel like that's, like, arguably worse. Yeah. He was just 34. Oh, my God. Of course, this devastated Susan, who had always thought of her dad as some kind of a hero or breadwinner for the family. Yeah. Susan even hung on to Harry's coin collection and had an audio recording of her dad's voice in a dresser drawer for many years after his passing. Linda would ultimately marry Bev in 1979, and the whole family would actually move to Bev's sprawling three-bedroom home. And that's definitely different than what they were living in, because they were sharing, like, a two-bedroom house, I think. Yeah. Despite her loss and huge life changes, Susan began to thrive in school, right? We've seen this before. People throw themselves into school. Yeah. She was incredibly bright, and she was actually part of the AB honor roll for most of her schooling. Okay. She excelled in math, science, Spanish, and volunteered with her Red Cross club at school. Volunteering didn't stop here, though. She had also volunteered for the Special Olympics every year, and she also worked with the elderly. Susan, however functional she seemed on the outside would not be able to fully cope with her father taking his own life and her own depression. She had admitted at some point that at age 13, she tried to take her own life as well. Oh, my gosh. (sighs) She's like her brother, too. Yeah. And it's really interesting because, you know, like, we always say or think, you know, maybe this will make me closer to this person. You know, It's, it's really sad. Yeah. So after this attempt, and she realized that essentially she couldn't be closer to her biological father, quote-unquote, she actually leaned into her relationship with her stepfather, Bev. The two seemed to be exceptionally close as the years went on. He was her biggest cheerleader at events and during her successes, and by the time that Susan was in high school, Susan would find herself competing with her mother for her stepfather's attention. No. On one occasion, when Susan was 15 or 16 years old, Susan, Linda, her mother, and Bev had begun to watch a movie. Finding herself tired, Linda went off to bed. While Susan and her stepfather were watching the remainder of the film, Susan began snuggling up to Bev. She proceeded to put her head in his lap, and what happens next is actually not denied by Susan nor Bev. Okay. Eventually, he reached into her shirt and began to grope her, and eventually he did reach into her pants and he molested her as well. Oh my god. Although Susan would later say that this was a consensual act, she's incapable of consenting because of her age. Of course. Susan actually told her guidance counselor at school about it and her own mother about it. And they didn't fucking do anything. Just wait. Just wait. Although her mother confronted her husband about the inappropriate interaction, her mother actually never pressed charges. And uh, even when Bev had confessed to it happening, like he had completely admitted when he was confronted by Linda. Like, you know, like a, like a fucking crime. The two would go on to have three more children. <laughs> oh, God, no. God. Ew. Um, you, why would you want to stay with someone after that? That's fucking so gross. Bev would be forced out of the house. Linda was oh. like, I'm not going to press charges, but you have to move out of the house. Um, Which, like, maybe you should fucking press charges as well. However, during this time, the three would attend family counseling. She's like, you got to move out of the house. I'm not going to press charges, but we have to go to counseling. Because clearly there's, like, a dynamic happening here with the three of us. Yeah. It's him. Yeah. It's not the three of them. It's yeah. him. 
Oh my god. Well, it's kind of interesting because, like I said, like, Susan felt like she was competing against her mother, so I wonder if there was, like, the mother was kind of competing too. You know what I mean? But why? I like, don't know. It's a, it's a oh, weird, it's definitely weird. My god. Even with, even with, damn it. With, with, <laughs> even with, English? Even with, even with, even with this house. Even with this. <laughs> Sorry for the UK <laughs> listeners. We're not making fun of you. It just sounds funny. Even with Bev out of the house, the abuse continued. So, like, they were still seeing each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, he, they're in no, counseling no. together, duh. No, no, no. Correction. They weren't still seeing each other. He was, he was still seeing her. creeping he was, on her. Yeah, he was being a pedophile. Yeah. Absolutely. That's fucking disgusting. Although the counselor had reported the incident to police when it was time to go to court, so the counselor did report, there was going to be an investigation, they were already going to go to court for it, Susan denied the allegations. Like, at first it was like, oh, like, I just made it up. Like, whatever I told the counselor, I was just looking for attention. Yeah. Because she didn't want him to get in trouble? Because I guess she didn't want him to get in trouble. That is brainwashing at its yeah. fucking finest. So oh my the, God. Yeah, so the case was dropped. That poor girl, she doesn't even fucking know, who, like, who she's defending or, like, why she has to lie. Oh, that's so gross. When Susan was about 16 or 17 years old, she began working at a local grocery store for extra money. Here she met her 40-year-old manager, who was married. No. And began to have an affair with him. She Ew. actually... Yeah. She actually began another affair with a 30-year-old assistant manager as well. And when the 40-year-old found out not only about the coinciding affairs, but that Susan was also pregnant, yeah, he, like, lost his shit and broke up with her, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. He broke off the relationship. You're, gotta go now, because gotta I, go now. like, this is bad. It's the real world. Maybe you shouldn't be fucking a 17-year-old when you're 40. Susan would have an abortion, oh. and um, having become attached very easily, she was distraught over losing both partners. I'm sorry, I misspoke. It was the 30-year-old that found out about the other affair. Either, Either way, way. <laughs> both men left. She had an abortion and she once again tried an attempt on her life. Oh my god, that's so awful. This poor girl just has like such a bad history with relationship with her father and then of course her stepfather. stepfather yeah. She doesn't know what a healthy relationship with men is. Right. That's so awful. She was admitted into a hospital, and she would be monitored for weeks, uh, a few weeks, like close to a month, I think. During her stay, the nursing staff found it very odd that although Susan would cry and sob all night long once alone, during visiting hours, she was very cheerful and bubbly to people. Okay, so she's like she able to put on a persona. Quote-unquote normal or typical, right? Mm -hmm. Typical behavior. It was during her stay in the hospital that doctors would actually diagnose Susan as having an adjustment disorder. It's because so, of her age, probably. From the Mayo Clinic, this is directly from their website, an adjustment disorder is a stress-related condition. You experience more stress than would normally be expected in a response to a stressful or unexpected event. And these stresses cause significant problems in your relationships, at work, or at school. These things may be brought on by work problems, going away to school, an illness, a death of a close family member, or any number of life changes. Most of the time, people can adjust to such changes within a few months, but if you have an adjustment disorder, you continually have emotional or behavioral reactions that can contribute to feeling anxious or depressed. Some signs of this disorder can include feeling sad, 
hopeless or not enjoying things you used to, frequently crying, worrying or feeling anxious, nervous, or jittery, trouble sleeping, lack of appetite, difficulty concentrating, feeling overwhelmed, difficulty functioning in daily activities, withdrawing from social support, avoiding important things such as going to work or paying bills, suicidal thoughts or behavior. Symptoms of an adjustment disorder start within three months of a stressful event and last no longer than six months after the end of the stressful event. Mm -hmm. However, persistent or chronic adjustment disorders can continue for more than six months, especially if the stressor is ongoing, such as unemployment, right? So the stressor... being taken advantage of by someone twice your age. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, clearly. For sure. Soon after Susan's return to work, Susan's high school friend, David, would actually begin working at the store as well. David Smith was a year older than Susan and was the second of three biological kiddos, and he also had one stepbrother who was older but didn't necessarily live in the house. Okay. First was Billy from his mother's first marriage, and then Danny, and then David, and then Becky. So we're talking about David. His father was a Navy veteran, and the family was brought up in a devout Jehovah's Witness home. David's mother tried to shelter the kids from the outside world as best she could. She worked two jobs and was also going to school for nursing. His father, after serving two terms in Vietnam, had come home and managed a shoebox shoebox store. <laughs> a box store, not a shoebox store. All they have is shoeboxes? Yeah. While the kids were growing up, David's parents became disillusioned with each other and mainly argued about his mother's commitment to her religious beliefs. David's father didn't like that his wife sheltered the kids as much as she did and thought that the kids were being robbed from life experience. While in high school, David began dating a young lady named Christy. There was another episode we did recently where the, the girlfriend's name was Christy. I think it was the Menendez brothers. Mm-hmm. And you were like, he started dating a girl named Christy. And he like, sang it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is also Christy. <laughs> there's Christy and then there's Christy. Yeah. <laughs> so Christy was kind of cool. Even from Christy's perspective, David and his siblings were actually deprived from social exposure and could recognize that his upbringing was considered abnormal. Christy said that David actually hadn't experienced Christmas ever until David was invited to her family's Christmas one year. I've heard people that have experienced that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. David began to see how his mother's intentions had actually hindered him. And by age 16, 17, David began pulling away from his mother and began to denounce his mother's religion entirely. Oh, wow. Entirely, not entirety. After this, the household became incredibly hostile, um, almost between everyone. David decided to follow in his brother, his brother's footsteps, Danny, who had moved from their house into their great-grandparents' house, which was, like, just a few houses down or, like, okay. next door or in a nearby property. So David and Danny moved out. Even with all this, David was a hard worker, and after beginning to work at the grocery store, David and Susan were due to graduate high school in 1989. So Susan has returned to work, right, after her hospital stay. With the same creeps? Yeah. Well, I think one of them still worked there. I don't know if the 40-year-old did, but the 30-year-old definitely did. And you'll hear why. Uh, So she returns to work, and David and Susan would kind of reconnect because they knew each other from high school. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they, like, really knew each other. I think it was just because they knew that they went to high school with each other, you know, high school with each other. Yeah. So keep in mind um, that David is still with Christy. And David and Susan (laughs) would actually, David and Susan would begin a casual arrangement you can get what I'm saying by Soup's that. Soup's cash. Soup's cash arrangement, yeah. Soup's cash. But David has a girlfriend, right? Yeah. Christy. A long-term girlfriend. They dated almost all throughout high school. Huh. 
Susan would come to find that she was pregnant after a year of the two engaging in consensual hookups. I'm sorry, but like, come on. She was just 19. (sighs) With this news, David had no other option but to come clean with Christy, and he broke off their relationship. He wanted to support Susan, and I'm assuming it was a mutual decision that they didn't want to go through a procedure. Yeah. So he wanted to support her. It was probably, like I said, a, a personal decision. So David felt like he was doing the right thing when he then proposed to Susan. Sounds like her mom. Who at this point was two months along. The two would come to accept that their dreams of attending college may be put on the back burner for now, which is something that both of their families were not happy about. Uh, yeah. Furthermore, Susan's mother, Linda, and her stepfather, stepfather, <laughs> yeah, he is a bother. Yeah, he is. And her stepfather, Bev, were disappointed that Susan would marry a man who was not an economical match for their family. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know what Linda's fucking talking about. She was married to fucking what's-his-face over here, you know? But, like, you moved into this giant fucking house. Like, you can be like, oh, like, he's not up to par with, like, our standards. Yeah, you know? we only marry pedophiles in this family, apparently. Oh, Jesus. Well, yeah. sorry. That yeah. sounds bad, but, like, <laughs> Jesus. Either way, the couple was really optimistic, and they really wanted to, like, thrive on nothing but love. They kind of had this, like, whirlwind. Susan and David leaned on each other for the support that they had craved pretty much their whole lives. Yeah. And they did blissfully live with the notion that their love for each other and the love that they had for their future family would be enough to carry them through anything. Oh, no. It's against the world. Sounds so lovely. Susan was just three months pregnant when David would lose his older brother, Danny, to a long battle of complications with Crohn's disease. Oh, no. Very, very sad. sad. Ugh. Encouraged by some of their family members, the two decided to marry just 11 days after the passing of David's brother. Wow, 11 days. It was also somewhat forced by David's mother, since she was worried that Susan would be showing in photos if they were to postpone the wedding. They can't just get married, like, way later on, like, when they're ready? Like they No, that's impossible. Get... They have to get married now. Okay. Because then everybody would know that they would have a baby out of wedlock, and who wants oh, that? of course. Although David had been working on building a house on the property of his great-grandparents, the house was incomplete, and when the couple got married, instead of supporting David in his endeavor to build the couple a private space, Susan was turned off to the progress and insisted that the couple live in the home with his great-grandparents, as she was used to a, quote, certain type of lifestyle, and not a, quote, tin-roofed shack. Oh. It didn't appeal to Susan. I guarantee you she also wanted to be taken care of by his grandparents. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. She wants to live in the nice house. She doesn't want to do things for herself, it seems like. Yeah. She doesn't even want David to do things for themselves. Hmm. By May, Susan was five months pregnant, and unfortunately, around this time, David's father tried to commit suicide by overdose. Oh, my God. It's like one thing after another. Yeah. One thing after another. That is so awful. He was found sprawled on the floor of his family home, and his father would be admitted to the hospital. He would survive, and after this, he was actually treated for severe depression. He was just unable to deal with the loss of Danny. He was just very unable to cope. That's so sad. But he would eventually get help, and he he would be fine. During this time, David's mother would find all of this too much to handle and would actually separate from David's father and moved away. Yeah, like, that's going to make it better. Yeah, that makes it better. It's just brokenness between the two families. Like, it's just brokenness. His father would ultimately remarry after meeting another woman who was actually in the hospital while he was getting treated. So, 
Like, and she was a patient as well? Uh, I don't know if she was a patient. I thought she was, like, a nurse or something. Oh, okay. He was pretty happy, I think, afterwards. That's good. Susan would continue to work at the grocery store until the couple gave birth to their first child, Michael Daniel. So Michael after her brother, and then Daniel after Danny, the one that just passed. So named after the baby's two brothers, or two uncles, rather. Little Michael was born on October 10th, 1991. And after Michael's birth, Susan found it within herself to begin college courses. However, soon after Michael's birth, the couple began to have financial issues. This wasn't like typical financial issues, however, okay, because we always hear this, right? The couple did well as far as their finances. The two were both working or living off savings that they had accumulated while they were waiting for Michael to come along. But Susan was experiencing a bit of like binging habits when it came to spending. Hmm. David was getting increasingly frustrated with Susan when she was complaining that the family wasn't wealthy enough or didn't live in the most luxurious surroundings. This was like a huge point of contention for the couple. David felt like the life that they led was more than sufficient for a family of three. However, Susan felt that the financial situation had the potential to be more rewarding and felt that her husband was just penny-pinching. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't know, I just want us to, you know, like, have food. And, yeah, shelter and, you know, yeah. survive. Yeah. yeah, and not, like, giant coats. Yeah. <laughs> Susan would begin to approach her mother and stepfather for supplementary income. Like, for <laughs> herself and, like, maybe the baby. Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Linda, Susan's mom, would constantly come by the property unannounced and decided to just, like, make the visits about, like, lecturing them on their, like, life decisions. Mm. It was very irritating. Instead of, you know, like, coming around to see her grandson. Yeah. David felt like after these visits, Susan would quickly adapt to Linda's wants and wishes. And after Linda would leave, Susan would all of a sudden express the same concerns as her mother, furthering the conflict between the husband and wife. I hate that shit. Me too. Throughout the first year of their marriage, the couple experienced more than a few fallouts. Susan would insist that David would leave and go to his parents' house when they would have arguments, and then seemingly try to work on things with David by suggesting that he move back in. Like, all the time. You can leave the house that I moved in with you in. It's not even my house, but you can leave. Yeah, she thinks I'm it's, like, mad. her house. Like, the grandparent, great-grandparents' house or her house. I, I did You know what? Where are the great-grandparents? Because I don't even think they talked about it. They might have inherited the house. <clears> like, <throat> they might have. parents might not be around anymore. Yeah. Susan was still working at the grocery store, and almost one year to the date of their wedding anniversary, Susan would reveal that she had had an affair with the same 30-year-old assistant manager as before. During their marriage? Like, within this last or- year. Like, since they got married and they had Michael, she was sleeping with this guy still. Or at some point. By 1992, the couple had done this back and forth multiple times, but in November 1992, Susan would announce that she was pregnant yet again with the couple's second child, Alexander Tyler. Mm. With this new revelation, David and Susan agreed that they would try to make their marriage work. Some things needed to change, though, and one of which was that the couple were to move t- into a turnkey home so that they could have the space that Susan really craved. What is a turnkey home? It just means that it's like, it doesn't, it's like brand, oh, essentially brand new, or okay. it's like remodeled or whatever. It just means that it, there's no work that needs to be done. Oh. So this was like a standard that Susan was kind of like expecting. So Susan approached her mother and her stepfather about providing a down payment on a ranch-style house. They complied. <laughs> This pregnancy was very different from Susan's first. She constantly complained about being lethargic, weepy, and she struggled with body image issues. She called herself fat and ugly regularly. 
Like you're pregnant. It makes me sad when when pregnant women say that. I'm like, yeah. dude, you're not fat. You're beautiful. I think <laughs> it's just because like you feel so out of control. Like you're like you're not in control of your body. Yeah, exactly. Um, even though in a weird way you're kind of like the most control of your body because you control everything that goes into it and everything you ex- you expose yourself to. Yeah. But, yeah, it does feel like it's kind of out of control. Because, like, I mean, you get, like, acne and stuff, too. Like, you're, like, you're, I mean, it's completely different than what you look like before, yeah, you know? Yeah. David did his best to support his wife through this very tough time and was likely thankful that she was vocal with her strug- struggles instead of keeping them inside like mm-hmm. she had before. However, Susan was almost indignant about David's attempts to kind of be a part of what she was experiencing, too. Like... She would express, like, she would complain, but anytime he'd be like, oh, let me help you, blah, 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 she'd be like, ugh, you're annoying, like, you know? I hate that. Yeah. (laughs) She would rarely communicate about their son Michael's progress throughout the day. Like, she would clam up when he would, like, David would ask questions about what they did around the house that day. Just simple stuff. Like, what'd you do today? She'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. I just hung out. I just, like, hung out. I did, I did the dishes. Like, what do you want from me? He was a baby. He cried. You know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you sound like a uh, Kelly. The let's get some shots. <laughs> oh my God, shots! <laughs> I thought it was like, what are you gonna do today? Oh yeah, that what one too. The, what do you wanna do today? I don't know. What do you wanna do today? You didn't know no, yesterday. The couple were hardly romantic and physical, probably because of Susan's clear depression, right? Because that can affect your libido as well. David was beginning to get tired of his wife as well. Mm. Hmm. David himself was still working at the grocery store, and while Susan was pregnant with their second child, he began to have an affair with a cashier named Tiffany Moss. He also had an affair with a 30-year-old manager. (laughs) (laughs) It was the same 30-year-old manager. (laughs) So now there's four people engaged in this, well, at least at one point with her, engaged in this adultery and yeah, like, they're all, all just, working in the same place yeah it's stupid it just sounds like a fuck fest susan caught wind that something was amiss and would frequently come up to the store and yell at david while he was working accusing him of said affair and however many others that susan oh suspected yeah it seems like a happy family that's gonna help in august 1993 their second child alex was born alex's birth was actually unusual as well there were some complications So, unfortunately, Susan had to have an emergency C-section. The couple once again put aside their differences, and they welcomed their second child into the world and allowed Susan to recover. Within a month, the couple would decide that although they wanted to be devoted parents, they themselves as a couple probably wouldn't work out. Okay. Couldn't imagine why. Yeah. (laughs) David decided to move out to his parents' home while the two would come up with some kind of a custody agreement in the meantime, while ultimately pseudo-deciding on divorce. They knew they didn't want to be together anymore. Knowing that David very well maintained his affair that he was having with the cashier, Tiffany Moss, and knowing that her past indiscretions were also probably going to be looked at, Susan was like, I'm going to look for employment elsewhere. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't imagine why. So in 1993, Susan began to work as a secretary for the Conso Products Company and eventually began working for a man by the name of Jay Finley. Jay hired Susan as his personal secretary after some time of her working there, and Susan felt really successful in this role. She was able to see this kind of, like, luxurious lifestyle, because he was, like, the company owner or some shit. Yeah. Like, she would be, like, essentially finding Finley, like, flights and, like, 
flowers for the office and like, you know, like just the Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Like she's <laughs> like, you know, the fun secretary. Just a lot of expenditures that her and David weren't really kind of, like, used to. Yeah. So it was really interesting for her to see kind of this lavish lifestyle. So through Jay Finley, Susan would meet her new love interest, Finley's son, Tom Finley. Oh, no. Yeah. Tom was handsome, successful, a young man who worked for the graphic design department. Susan would find a new friend group at work, and through various parties and bar gatherings, Tom and Susan started to become pretty close. Okay. Oftentimes, the young and single Tom would throw parties at his place where coworkers and friends would come over and party, like, all night long on kind of an isolated property that he owned and, like, drinking in the hot tub and, like, what have you. Yeah. Quickly, Tom and Susan would begin an affair because, remember, she's still married at this point, by the way. They decided on divorce. They haven't filed the paperwork. Mm -hmm. One that almost everybody at the office seemed to know about as well. They're separated, though. Sure. David and Susan would be on and off again during this time. (laughs) (laughs) David had actually moved into his own apartment and bought all this nice furniture and stuff, which probably just pissed off Susan. He even quit seeing Tiffany Moss, the cashier. He quit seeing her. Um, He really thought that him and Susan were going to work on this relationship. Cute. Love it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, just everything was going so swimmingly, like, everything was so amicable and, like, all this stuff. So David's like, surely this will work at some point. However, Susan would fall pretty hard for Tom. Mm. Tom wasn't so thrilled when he learned that although that Susan and David weren't living together, that she was still legally married. Yeah. That's all Susan needed to hear in order to serve David with the motherfucking paperwork. Wow. Citing that David was the one that was unfaithful. Therefore... Divorce. You had an affair in the past, but now I'm actively having an affair, but it's still your fault. But it's still your fault. (laughs) (sighs) So Susan filed for divorce in September 1994, and shortly after that, Tom and Susan would pick their relationship back up. Susan applied to night school, and she seemed to be doing well around this time. However, on more than a few occasions at Tom's parties or various other gatherings, Susan would get intoxicated and regularly throw herself at other men in front of Tom. What? She'd be flirting. She'd even be touching other coworkers' husbands. Oh, hell no. And on one occasion, she began to undress, getting fully nude in Tom's hot tub and encouraging others to join her. Oh, that's so embarrassing. That's, like, really embarrassing. Oh, like, no. I'm blushing. That's so embarrassing. Like, yikes. You are the secretary to the boss. To the like boss. The big boss. And you're dating his son. Yeah, exactly. And, like, everybody knows. Ugh. Ugh. And you're married with two kids at home. <laughs> Mm-mm. No, ma'am. Loving a pet is easy. Losing a pet is hard. Perfect Memorials has been chosen by families since 2001 for their unique memorial products. Choosing a cremation urn or other product from Perfect Memorials allows many special ways to memorialize your loved one. Keep your furry friend in your memory forever with unique, handcrafted, and personalized products for everyone. Click the link in the show notes today to save 10% off of your first order with Perfect Memorials from now until March 31st. Needless to say, this affair only lasted for about a month. I'm sure that Tom loved her devotion to him, but Tom wasn't ready to settle down with Susan, who essentially had a ready-made family with two kids, who clearly had some, as Tom would put it, boy-crazy tendencies. Okay. That's what he said. Wow. 
Susan tried to reassure Tom that her children had nothing to do with the relationship, they already had a father, and she wasn't looking to replace David. However, this argument would escalate as the two mulled over these relationship issues, and Susan began to get very infuriated. She began to tell Tom that he wasn't the only person she was having an affair with at work. She's like, well, you know what? Fuck you then. Like, it doesn't matter. I have other people I can go have sex with if I want to. She claimed that before and during the relationship that she had with Tom, she was also sleeping with his father, Jay Finley. What? Like, her direct boss. Like, the whole time. And he... I don't know if she was sleeping with him before she even got hired. Because, like, she kind of just got this, like, secretary position, like, under... You know what I mean? Do you think that's why she got the position? Maybe. But then he's just, like, cool with her dating his son after that, too? I don't know. That's weird. Well, I guess he can't have a relationship with a subordinate, so maybe he just didn't give a shit. Or maybe he, like, couldn't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, Tom worked for a different department, so it would have been okay. You know what I mean? Between Susan and him, but not with, like, the father and her, you know? Ew. That's weird. Tom was shocked, but that wouldn't be the only tea that Susan would be spilling this day. Oh, no. In order to garner sympathy from Tom and explain away her behavior... She told Tom that not only did her and her stepfather engage in what she considered to be consensual sexual activity, but that still to that day, she was still sleeping with her stepfather. No fucking way. That is so gross. And she's, like, bragging about it? She's, like, 23 now. Yeah. I don't know if she was bragging about it. I think, like, apparently it was delivered in a way that was, like, I just can't help it because, like, I've been sleeping with my stepfather. (laughs) Yeah. Like, essentially, but, he abused me, and therefore I am she, that way. Yeah, but then... But I'm still having sex with Yeah, him. exactly. As I'm saying, you can't play the sympathy card, like, oh, I was taken advantage of, he abused me, and then be like, but I'm still doing it. Like, this sounds bad, and she is 100% a victim in oh, that sure, capacity. Yeah. I'm not trying to say otherwise, but she is continuing to do it after she knows that it was wrong that yes, he did that, right? Yes. Even though, in her mind, at that age, it was consensual, it's not legal, she had clearly knows that now, yeah. and then the fact that she's still continuing to do it... There's no sympathy for that, right, in my mind. After she becomes, uh, you know, of a certain age yeah. and she continues to do it. Do you think there's, like, a reclamation there? Like, do you think, like, she continues to sleep with her stepfather now that as an adult and it be consensual or, you know, believe that it's consensual and because she felt like it wasn't kind of consensual then? So now it's like, I'm an adult. I can make this decision. Now it's my and choice. And now it's my choice. Like, Maybe, Like, it overrides yeah. that feeling of being but taken advantage of. I would feel like... I mean, I don't know how anyone, you know, would feel in that situation, but I would assume that you would be angry with the person after you found out that it was, in fact, you know, you were being taken advantage of Mm -hmm. and stuff and not fully forgive and just be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, let's just keep doing that, you know? And and the fact that she's married and she has having this affair with other people, what does the stepdad have to do with any of that? He doesn't even need to be in the picture if she has, you know, know, her husband and then her... This guy, you know, Tom, allegedly the boss or whatever. Do you think that she was telling Tom that, like, but it wasn't true? Or do you think No, it's that- true. Oh, it's true. Yeah, okay. it's absolutely true. Because, yeah. Well, we find yeah. out later it's oh, true. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah, all of this is going on, right? I don't know if it's more of, like, let me just shock the shit out of you and then, you know, I don't know. Or, like, feel bad for me. It's like people, like, when you're in an argument and, like, all they can do is, like, call you fat or ugly, you know? It's like, oh, great, like, a low blow. Ooh. You know, like, yeah. and is, is it, like, I don't know. Am I just trying to say things to hurt you? Yeah. To make, to like break you down and then therefore you're going to come, you know? Yeah. Tom, not intending to stay with Susan, but simply wanted her to leave his home because this was happening at his home. He placated Susan and essentially told her what she wanted to hear just to get her off the property. Mm -hmm. 
He promised to still show up to a lunch date that he, Susan, and a few coworkers had planned for the next afternoon. Susan believed that Tom and her could mend their broken relationship, and Susan left the Finley property in order to head back home. The next morning on October 25th, 1994, Susan felt optimistic about the prospect that her and Tom could work something out. She woke up with the boys, she fed them breakfast, took them to, got them dressed, and took them to daycare. Michael and Alex were three and one at this point. Susan then went to work and seemed down, for sure, but she made it through the first half of work and then took off to meet the group for lunch. Tom did show up, but it was clear that he was pretty much uninterested in having more than a few words exchanged with Susan. Mm. She didn't like that? No, not at all. By the time Susan got back to work, she was a mess, like, all over again. She asked her supervisor if she could go home, and her coworkers agreed, but kind of also asked Susan if she was feeling okay. Susan kind of broke down and began to pretty much explain what was going on in her life and that she wasn't feeling well and all this stuff. After she relieved some of that pressure, however, Susan stayed for, like, another two or three hours at work, but she wouldn't be working. Oh. She kept trying to corner Tom at work, following him around, calling his office to meet up, and at one point, she tried to return an orange sweater left in her car or, like, something. Like, girls desperate. Like, an excuse to see him. Exactly. Like, oh, I have your sweater. No, you want it back? Tom expressed that he didn't want to be with Susan, and in fact, he was appalled that she was having an affair with his father. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, do you not get that? <laughs> After work, Susan drove to the daycare and picked up her kids. While she was in the daycare parking lot, she actually ran into a coworker named Sue. Susan told Sue a bit about what was going on and convinced Sue to follow Susan over to the local bar, which she knew that Tom was going to be there. And she was like, I just want to confront Tom, but, like, can you watch my kids? Oh, my yeah. God. Like, he doesn't <laughs> want to fucking talk to you. Yep. So, eventually, Susan left after some discussion, but Sue stayed behind. Sorry, it's confusing. Susan. Sue. Yeah. Suzanne left with her kids, and Sue stayed behind to eat and have a few drinks. At, this is, like, right down the street from their work, I'm assuming. It was, like, or either that or it's the only bar. <laughs> so, at some point... Like, Tom was kind of sitting a few bar stools down from Sue. At one point, Susan called the bar and asked to speak with Sue and was like, did he ask about me? Oh, my God. Yeah. What is he saying? What is he saying? Can you tell him this? Can you ask him this? (laughs) Sue was like, he hasn't said anything about you. Like, he's not going to talk about, like, don't call here. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you calling the bar and interrupting my meal? Yeah. He wasn't talking about her at all, which, again, pissed her off even more. Of course. Around 8 p.m., Susan decided to dress up the boys and pile them back into the car. Susan claimed that she wanted to go to Walmart with her sons since they were getting fussy and she thought that a drive around would help. About an hour later, while on their way back to the house, while stopped at a red light, Susan was shocked when a man approached her window with a gun and ordered Susan out of the red 1990 Mazda Protégé. What? Susan got out of the car and the the man... Blah. The man. The man. Susan got out of the car, and the man hopped into the driver's seat and took off with her children in the no. backseat. Oh, my God, no. I would be so scared. Susan ran towards the first John D. Lake neighborhood house that she could see, screaming, please help me. He's got my kids. A black man has got my kids in the car. Oh the homeowners God. called the police while trying to relay as much information from Susan to them yeah. about the instance. She explained the story to the homeowners describing the car and in which direction the perpetrator went. 
She said it headed towards the highway. So immediately one officer was dis- dispatched to Susan and the other was ditched ba- dispatched to the highway to yeah. see if they could intercept. Susan asked the homeowners if she could then call her mother after police arrived. That if she could call her mother and then she called David. Um, her mother didn't answer. Police interviewed Susan swiftly as they knew that time was a factor in finding the children yeah. safely. Susan maintained her story of being carjacked uh, at a light, but couldn't provide a real clear description of the suspect, just that it was a black male. Police also noted what Susan was wearing, white jogging pants and an orange sweater. Oh, that orange sweater that, that she orange never gave sweater. back to Tom. That pesky orange sweater. <laughs> it was the perpetrator of the orange sweater. <laughs> After some of the family gathered in the area of the last known whereabouts of the children, it was suggested that the family gather at a set location at, like, one member's, one family member's home mm-hmm. so that any news would be relayed to all of them at once, which makes sense to me. So um, they were going to go to Susan's family home. Susan rode with David to her family's home and found it odd when Susan began talking about calling Tom when they got back to the house. And that Tom would likely want to come over and that David would just have to accept that and not be mad about it. Tom just has to be here for me. He's going to want to yeah, for sure. he's going to want to be here for me. Or she's using that to, like, get him to, like, talk yeah. to her. Once home, investigators would come by to get a composite sketch of the perpetrator. Susan had a very difficult time describing the man, speaking about little details, such as the man's eyebrows or Cupid's bow. Mm-hmm. But... As previously mentioned, she gave very vague descriptions on bigger things like nose, eye color, or even mouth shape, which is unusual. Because mm-hmm. if you can see their eyebrows or, like, what this looks like, you couldn't tell me what their eye color was. Like, you're yeah. that close, you know? If anyone doesn't know what a Cupid's bow is, it's, like, the top of your, like, between your nose and your mouth. Like yes. the shape on your lips. Some people don't. I didn't know what that was, like, until recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> like... Like, just now? <laughs> no, I knew what it was. I just, I found out, I guess, Cupid's probably, bow. like, the couple I forget what this is called. This is called something down here, too. If anybody knows what the bottom lip... Bottom lip anti-Cupid's bow yeah, is. it's called. Ultimately, it was determined that the man was in his 40s, a dark knit... He wasn't a dark knit cap. He had a dark knit <laughs> cap. Black or dark jeans and t-shirt and a plaid jacket on. Hmm. Very vague. The next day, October 26th, investigators began to search the John D. Lake area, uh, which is kind of like a park area, but it does have a lake. Mm-hmm. No sign of the car or the boys by helicopter, boat, or on the ground at all. Hmm. This same day, Tom did call to talk about the boys, but Susan insisted on talking about them mending their relationship instead, which You're- Tom was disturbed by. Children are missing, yeah. and that's what you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. She's like, when are you going to come over? Are we gonna? Are we gonna fix this? Are you gonna come over? Are you coming over? Oh my gosh! Yeah, the Adam Walsh Foundation. Do you know who Adam Walsh is? I don't. So Adam Walsh Walsh is John Walsh. You know he's he was like the host for America's Most Wanted. Okay. Like that guy. His son was actually kidnapped in a uh, from an. (laughs) I just hit myself in the head. (laughs) Um, Was kidnapped from a grocery store. Oh, no. And he's part of the reason why certain things like Amber Alerts exist. Um, But they called them, they called them Code Adams. Have you heard of a Code Adam? Uh, Where a child is missing, you lock down the store and no in and out at all. Mm -hmm. So Code Adams. So that's um, the Adam Walsh Foundation is in memoriam of little Adam that was kidnapped. I think it's like a Code Pink in the hospital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So they actually wanted to uh, come meet with Susan and David and suggested that the couple make a public plea for the safe return of the boys. Statistically, it is more likely that information will be volunteered when the public sees the parents of kidnapped victims. Yeah. Reluctantly, Susan and David agreed. I feel like this is going to be like a Chris, Chris Watts situation. Yeah. Susan was to be the person to speak and plead with the public. Her statement is as follows, or at least a little bit of it. Mm. Quote, To whoever has our boys, we ask that you please don't hurt them and bring them back. We love them very much. I plead to the guy, please return our children to us safe and unharmed. Everywhere I look, I see their play toys and pictures. They are both wonderful children. I don't know how else to put it, and I can't imagine life without them. End quote. They're wonderful children. Mm-hmm. That seems a little a little detached, in my opinion. But, you know, everyone grieves differently. We always say that. These interview tapes are really interesting, or these public announcement <laughs> tapes are really interesting if you ever watch them. Mm-hmm. Investigators take Susan downtown for another interview. The interview lasted about six hours, and Susan repeated her story many times. The next day, on the 27th of October... Both David and Susan agreed to a polygraph test. And although David's showed no deception, Susan's was inconclusive. Most notably, the most questionable topic being, quote, do you know where your children are? End quote. (laughs) I don't like that. Susan began to change her story a little bit. When confronted that no one was reported seeing Susan and the boys at Walmart, like she had claimed she had gone, Susan admitted that she didn't go into Walmart at all because it would sound suspicious if she claimed that she drove around for hours with her kids in the car. That's not how that works. That's not how that works. At all. <laughs> like <laughs> you lie. Yeah, I drove around That's for a couple more hours. Yeah. Like what? Furthermore, the light that Susan claimed that she was stopped at when this carjacking happened no. is constantly green at this time of night. The only time that the light would turn red is when another car is traveling across this road, triggering the sensor to change the lights. Meaning that if Susan was sitting at this red light and she was carjacked, someone would have witnessed it or at least seen them. Actually, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. No one had come forward stating that they had seen this happen. And this was national news at this point. Yikes. David was questioned about him and Susan's marriage. And David admitted that the two had been having an affair, having affairs on each other. Um, and he said that she was talking to Tom Finley. David stood by his belief that Susan would never harm their children. And it was honestly beginning to become more upsetting yeah. that investigators were focused on their marriage instead of finding their boys. Uh, yeah. Susan herself, when asked if there would be any reason that she would want to harm her children or want her children to disappear, Susan said... Quote, no man would make me hurt my children. They were my life. End quote. No one said anything about any man. No one said anything about that. They said, was there would a you reason wanna, that you would hurt would your you children? Do uh, no man would make me do that. <laughs> Sorry, that's not what we fucking asked. Also, they were my life. <gasps> I didn't even catch that. Ew. Oh my god, it is fucking Chris Watts. <sighs> oh my god. Like, that is... A big red flag. Like, yeah. the person that... Past tense. They know Ugh. that they're gone. That's why they're using that verbiage. Ugh. Ew, I don't like that. The public plea was looked over by investigators, along with some recordings and personal, like, one-on-one interviews. 
They noticed that Susan showed emotion but never cried. Oh, crocodile uh, tears. Yeah. Well, not even tears. Like, she's just like, I don't know how It's real bad. That's... When I thought about researching this case, all I could think of were there's, like, like news reports of her just being like, I just want you just return my babies. Because she's got this real thick accent. It's awful. I don't understand how people don't realize that it's, like, very obvious when they're, like, quote-unquote crying, but there's no tears. Like, right. it's very clear yeah. that you're not actually crying. So why do people try to fake it? I, I don't get it. No idea. I think, I don't remember what... Uh, episode of something i was watching but it was somebody where that kept wiping their face and, and it was there like was no tears there was no tears and if anything it made their face kind of red where it almost looked like they were crying yeah yeah it was really uh, interesting people are wilding out <laughs> october 28th would come and go investigators still searching for the missing children speculation in the public began to rise that it was unlikely that a black man in his 40s Toting around two white babies surely would have been noticed by somebody right now. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was... A lot of the black community was pissed. Because they're like, there's no way. There's no fucking way. Yeah. When it's national news. And it's just making, like, a really bad cloud, like, go over the community. Yeah, it was either the man disposed of the children somehow, or it was all a fucking lie. Yeah. Not to mention that this case was huge, like I said, and at this point, surely at least the car would have been found. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't care how ludicrous it sounds, if this man knew that they were looking for this fucking car containing two white kids, he'd be like, nope, (laughs) like, I'm gonna ditch this car somewhere, right? October 29th, Susan and David were reached out by an American Journal reporter who had also lost his daughter due to a kidnapping. Oh, no. And he wanted to talk to Susan and David about what happened that day. After days of trying to arrange a meetup, Susan still refused. Like, refused to be interviewed. Like, by this person who had also lost a child. She's like, no thanks, I don't want to help. Yeah. Like, I'll pass on that. Like, um, Well, it wasn't about helping. He was, the the young lady had already been murdered. No, 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 I know. I meant helping oh. her, her kids' investigation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Like, she's like, no thanks, I don't need to be interviewed. I, I don't really care about your situation. So yeah. So I'll just kind of like, no, no, no thanks. Well, that's what was even more suspicious is because, like, she would just feel fucking guilty. Yeah, exactly. You know, talking to somebody who, like, actually, like, a perpetrator actually killed this man's exactly. daughter. Yeah. On October 31st, a phone call to police in Union from Seattle held hope. A 14-month-old child was found abandoned by a man who had South Carolina plates. What? In Seattle. He matched Alex's description, and the family was over the moon that one of the boys had been found. How long ago was this? How long after they disappeared was this? Oh, this was days. This was like five days. So there's plenty of time, allegedly, for someone to get from South Carolina to Seattle sure. on a car. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because this was the 31st, and they were taken on the 25th. Okay. So six days. However, it was quickly determined that the boy was not Alex Smith. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Another press conference was to be held, and the couple would go on national television to discuss the circumstances surrounding the investigation so far. On November 3rd, Susan and David were set to do three television interviews, all in the morning. When asked if she had any involvement in concealing her children during the interview, Susan says, quote, I didn't have anything to do with the abduction of my children. Whoever did this is a sick and emotionally unstable person, end quote. <laughs> A.K.A. me. <laughs> interview after interview was exhausting for the couple. 
and the agents could see that Susan's deterioration with each question was more and more apparent. Yeah. Around 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon, Sheriff Howard Wells and Susan began another interrogation, this time within the walls of a church. Hmm. Being asked again where her children were, Susan began to sob. Like, actually sob. I was going to say, like, real sob this time? Like, real cry. She started saying, quote, I'm so ashamed, I'm so ashamed, end quote. She then asked calmly for Sheriff Wells' gun because she wanted to kill herself. Which, of course, he was like, what? No. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. Absolutely uh, actually, not. That's not possible, ma'am. Sorry. No, that's not protocol. But she didn't admit anything. Yeah, she just said, I'm so ashamed. I'm Let so ashamed. Give me your gun. Yeah. And he began to ask why, what, oh, and console God. her. It's so scary. She said, quote, you don't understand. My children are not all right, end quote. Susan started on the day that the crime took place, stated that she had never felt so low before, and she wanted her pain to stop. She felt like she had messed up her whole entire life and sought to take her own life. She drove the boys to the edge of John D. Lake, and put on Tom's sweater, and decided that she was going to die with her children. She didn't want to leave them behind without their mother. After attempting to put the car into drive three times, but stopping herself, she enabled the parking brake. She stepped out of the car, reached inside, and released the parking brake, sending her children into the lake. She said that she loved her children and that she regretted the action immediately, but after standing there watching the car sink into the lake, she did nothing. It took about six minutes for the car to fully sink before Susan ran to the nearest neighbor's house. So she had six whole fucking minutes to do something. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, way longer than that because she couldn't put the car and drive three times and then... did. First of all, I never understand the, I want to kill myself, so I'm going to kill these people with me. I never understand that fucking mindset. Mm -hmm. And then if, to completely change it around and be like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to kill myself, but I'll go ahead and just kill my children. Like, yeah. what the actual fuck? Just like in the Gilbert Jordan case, we kind of touched on that, that he probably wanted to drink himself to death, but he would never do it. You know? That's so awful, though. These babies. They're babies. They're three and they're one. <sighs> Sheriff Wells immediately contacted field agents to gather divers for another search of John D. Lake. The car was eventually located, and both Michael and Alex were found still strapped to their car seats. After Wells arrested and transported Susan, instead of driving to the scene, he headed to the Russell home to break the news that although the boys were found, they were not alive, and that, in fact, Susan had killed them. And before the news could get to it, obviously. Do you think at one point she was like, May this sounds bad, but maybe Tom will talk to me now that I'm going through this terrible tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. I believe oh that. God. I think that she thought that. The family was in shock, of course. Although David had had his suspicions about his wife, he had always believed Susan when she said that she would never harm the children. Even after learning about the deaths of their son, David tried to believe that Susan either falsely confessed, or it was an accident that she needed to cover up, or that she had a mental break of some kind. Either way, he didn't believe that it was intentional. Yeah. I mean, how could you? Like, what? Like, this is someone that you've been married to, or at least, you know, been in a parent partnership with for many years, at least three years now, probably four years. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want to immediately believe that that person's capable of something like that. Yeah, and David had always described Susan as a wonderful mom. He always <sighs> did. 
Once learning of the deeper details, the affairs, and the time that it took to sink the car, David kind of changed his tune towards Susan. Yeah, I bet. Susan was put on a 24-hour suicide watch for the eight months before her trial, since it was determined that she may be a harm to herself or others. Mm -hmm. I mean, shit, she asked the cop for his gun before she even confessed. The following February, after multiple evaluations, it was determined that Susan suffered from dependent personality disorder. A dependent personality disorder in the DSM-5 is described as a pervasive and excessive need to be taken care of that leads to submissive and clingy behaviors and fears of separation beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following. One, has difficulty making everyday decisions without an excessive amount of advice and reassurance by others. Two, needs others to assume responsibility for most major areas of their life. Three, has difficulty expressing disagreement with others because of fear of loss, support, or approval. Four, has difficulty initiating projects or doing things on their own because of lack of self-confidence in judgment or abilities rather than a lack of motivation or energy. Five, goes to excessive lengths to obtain nurturance and support from others to the point of volunteering to do things that are unpleasant, which I found, yeah, you can see that. Very true. Six, feels uncomfortable or helpless when alone because of exaggerated fears of being unable to care for oneself. Seven, urgently seeks another relationship as a source of care and support when a close relationship ends. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yep, that's Susan. And eight, is unrealistically preoccupied with fears of being left to take care of themselves. So really that's interesting. really interesting. And the funny thing is, is that when you said adjustment disorder way earlier on in the episode, the first thing that came to my mind was dependent personality disorder. Really? And I didn't say it. I was thinking it and I was like, I'll just wait. I was like, I feel like she meets the criteria for this. For sure. But again, she was young when she was diagnosed with adjustment, adjustment disorder. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let me see if, if they catch on to yep. dependent personality disorder. And I actually just recently heard about that one. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually, I haven't ever studied that one before recently. And I just just heard about it and just learned about it um, recently. So that's interesting that you brought this case. Well, you know, I think uh, a a big buzzword sometimes is like codependency. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. like to literally have it as like a disorder, like a diagnostic disorder, it's pretty interesting. That is really interesting. Psychiatrist Dr. Seymour Halleck said that Susan, quote, feels like she can't do anything on her own. She constantly needs affection and becomes terrified when she believes that she will be left alone, end quote. During these evaluations, it was revealed in the courtroom that Susan had maintained a sexual relationship with her stepfather for the last eight to nine years. (laughs) Shortly after, Linda left Bev and filed for divorce. Wow. That's, I mean, shit. Yeah. I mean, I personally would probably leave the first time that someone did that, even if it was an isolated incident. Yeah, and prosecute him. yeah, Yeah. But finding out. However many years later that it's been ongoing. Oh, my God. I For, can't like, even eight imagine. or nine years. I can't imagine how gross Linda felt, like, learning that. <sighs> That's your fucking daughter. Bev wrote to Susan in jail, saying, quote, My heart breaks for what I have done to you. I want you to know that you do not have all the guilt for this tragedy, end quote. Now you want to take some fucking responsibility? What a martyr. <laughs> God. Susan's defense team offered a plea deal. Susan would plead guilty to the crime to spare anyone from having to go through trial, first of all, for a 30-year-to-life sentence without parole, just to not have the death penalty on the table, essentially. 
The judge denied this and furthermore insisted that the trial take place within Union County, like Damn. where it occurred. Because, I mean, it's small county. It's true. Just everyone in Union knew exactly what had happened, yeah. knew these people, very integrated into what was happening. So the defense team tried to plead and say, we want the the trial moved to, like, another county where yeah. this isn't happening mm-hmm. for a fair trial. The judge denied that, too. <laughs> He's like, mm, no. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Sorry. But the judge also reassured the defense team by saying, I doubt very much that her neighbors and friends are going to find the death penalty out of this. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense a little bit. It was just that the severity of the crime was so severe that he could not take death off the table. Yeah, I don't blame him. (laughs) Shit, I mean... After Susan was diagnosed and placed on medication, the judge found her competent to stand trial. Of course, the defense painted Susan as a woman that had real mental di- a real mental diagnosis, which she did, mm-hmm. and that had it had never been treated, and eventually she did have a mental break. The prosecution portrayed Susan as a promiscuous woman who only wanted to continue a relationship with a man who didn't want children, not to mention the frenzy that she created by putting the black community in jeopardy through her lives. I didn't even think about the fact that... Yeah, you're right. Tom was like, I don't want to be a father. And that might have been another thing that she was like, well, you don't have to be, you know, and that sounds really bad. But I didn't even think about that. And also, yeah, that's like really awful that she just was like, oh, yeah, I was a black man. Like, seriously, you just like ruined the, you know, stigma. Or you just like caused the stigma against that community for no fucking reason. For no fucking reason. And it happens a lot. It's not the only time that that's happened. Men have been, I mean, men and women. Um, and the black community have been murdered because of that. Yeah. Because they think that they're taking down this perpetrator who's, like, this bank robber or, yeah, you know, exactly. or whatever it is. And they're looking for a specific person. And they just, because of racially profiling someone, yeah. they think that's the perpetrator. And the guy doesn't, or the person doesn't understand what's going on. And they get shot and killed. I yeah, mean, you know, awful. over nothing. Because of somebody's fucking lie. It's because disgusting. someone doesn't want to take accountability for yeah. what they fucking did. On July 22nd, 1995, it took the jury just two hours to hand down the verdict of guilty on both counts of murder. Duh. The same jury would actually determine her sentencing as well. Oh. And um, in a heartbreaking testimony, David expressed how his life was changed forever beginning October 25th, 1994. Oh. He said, quote, all my hopes, all my dreams, everything that I planned for the rest of my life ended. Oh. I didn't know what to do. Everything I had planned on, my kids, my life, were gone, end quote. I mean, like, you don't ever think that your kids are going to be taken away from you, and you don't ever think that you're going to outlive your kids. Yeah. Like, that's so awful. Poor David. Yeah, he's, yeah. And even, like, his home life, you know, was was kind of rough, too. A very unusual piece of evidence was presented to the jury in the sentencing hearing. They were shown a reenactment video of the inside of a car the same year same model as the car that the boys drowned in from the boys perspective it was like a video camera in the back seat oh my god water rushed through the car the windows broke under pressure the courtroom was completely silent as the video rolled on for six long minutes oh my god i have full body chills that is so heavy oh my gosh like that's pulling at your heartstrings yeah. aren't they not allowed to do that This is just for the sentencing. This is not for the trial. Oh, okay. I see. On July 27th, 1995, Susan was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison with the possibility of parole. 
Susan, over the years, has stood by her defense's explanation that she was struggling with mental illness, even from her young age of being sexually abused to the immense amount of postpartum depression that she had after the birth of her children. In 2015, she wrote, quote, I am not the monster society thinks I am. I am far from it. Something went very wrong that night. I was not myself. I was a good mother and I loved my boys. There was no motive and that's why it wasn't a planned event. I was not in my right mind, end quote. So that was in 2015. Back up just a little bit, 2001. Susan had been caught smoking weed and was actually caught with various contraband. While in prison? Yes. And even had sexual relationships with two guards. Here we go again. Inappropriate relationships with men, like, her whole life. These two guards were tried and convicted for having sex with a person unable to give consent. I don't know if you know that. A prisoner isn't able to give consent. Yeah. That's... Well, good. Fuck those guys. Yeah. Taking and, of course, advantage. they were fired, duh. Well, but then again, like, who knows how many other women they probably took, had taken advantage of in their yeah. work, the time that they're working there. Well, one know? has actually been interviewed by, like, Barbara Walters or something, because he was, like, you know, was talking about how manipulative and how cunning she is and how she deserves to be in prison for the rest of her life, because if she gets out, she's just going to do it to more people. Well, yeah, and if Ugh. he, I mean, not to say that it's he doesn't have any fault. Of course he does in that scenario, no, she, but yeah. she probably was really convincing. It's know? true. I mean, he's in a power position. He is yeah. a corrections officer. Like, yeah. he, no, he it's absolutely wrong. his fault. <laughs> he did the wrong He thing. did the wrong. <laughs> he did the wrong. <laughs> he did the wrong. <laughs> Susan is housed in the Camille Griffin Graham Correctional Institution in South Carolina. She is eligible for parole in 2024. Oh. Just next year. Wow, okay. Some fireworks crack a lacking. Yeah. David Smith is now happily married with two beautiful kids. Aww. He has <laughs> said that the pain he experienced at the hands of Susan will follow him for the rest of his life. Yeah, I bet. He said when he first started thinking about potentially marrying someone or having children again, he was terrified. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> all of that changed with the birth of his first child, Savannah, who he had with Tiffany Moss. Oh, the cashier. The woman he had an affair with. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a cute little happy ending, like a little, like, yeah. tie up. Um, the cashier for the, from the store. Yeah. I love that. Um, he said, quote, I looked at Savannah and she was looking at me and I promised I wouldn't be afraid to love her and take <sighs> care of her and always protect her and be there for her. End quote. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> He said about the surprise conception, because it was, quote, I think God knew for me to have any more children, it would have to be by chance. Yeah. He didn't think that he would ever want, like, he could get over that and, like, that it would scare him too much. So, you know, this conception was like, okay, this is handed to me, you know? Wow, how cool. It's really interesting. Yeah, so uh, Tiffany Moss and... Uh, David, they married for a little bit, I I think. I think they got a divorce, but then he had another child named Nicholas, and he is still married today. He said, I've said it before, I admit to being a lousy, I admit to being a lousy husband, but I've always been a good father to my kids. (laughs) So, yes. Um, So, he has Savannah and Nicholas now. He said, quote, I enjoy being a father very much. To me, there is no greater love in the world than the love of a child. I'm still here. I'm still making it every day. Wow. Good for him. I know. Oh, that's so sad. Isn't that? What a story, man. I did not expect any of that. 
It's so funny because, like, I was having this conversation um, with someone yesterday uh, about talking about past relationships and, like, you know, how awkward it can be, like, when you're, like, kind of talking to somebody or, like, whatever. And I said, like, I think it's really important to talk about your past relationships and to know where certain things come from and why it didn't work out. Yeah. And that must be a very difficult conversation for David to have. It must be. Yeah, it must be. No matter, I mean... There's a lot of terrible exes in this world, but... Yeah, definitely. Susan Smith uh, is one of them. (laughs) Wow, yeah, that's wild. I find it interesting that you brought a case having to do with children, because I know that that's not normally your style, and that's not really something that we've covered a lot lately, or at all, really. Mm. Um, But that was a really, really good story, and it, it almost seems to me as if she... Of course, she was diagnosed with adjustment adjustment disorder as a teenager, and it almost seems like it kind of developed into dependent personality yeah. disorder as she grew older. And, you know, we all know that most personality disorders, they can show, show up anywhere from, like, 15 to, like, 25 is, like, the sweet spot um, right. for personality disorder, so that makes a lot of sense. But I think one of the biggest reasons um, for her doing what she did, especially with the men growing up, was, you know, she had so much love for her biological father, and then he was taken from her. Mm -hmm. And for seemingly in her mind, like, like, why? Like, for no reason. Yeah. Um, And I think that really skewed her, her mindset on what a relationship with men is. Yeah. And almost like, with the dependent personality disorder every man that I love is going to leave me, right? That's, yeah. that's like, the first thing that was ingrained in her mind, mm-hmm. um, which also or, might... Or abuse her, because yeah. same thing with Bev, by the time that, you know, she was probably becoming interested in boys, then it's almost... I mean, I don't know if it was her first interaction with somebody, but either well, way, yeah. it's a violation, but in her mind, it's, oh, I get, I'm, I get approval... I'm seeking approval and I'm gaining it through this act with, you know, this man. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, is that with Bev, you know, when when her mother found out what what was happening, she kind of removed herself from Bev. He left the home, again, leaving Susan. You're right. So maybe that's why she also continued that relationship, because Mm. she was afraid of him leaving. And even though she, you know, met... David and, you know, she had the people at the grocery store and then Tom, like, mm-hmm. she still, it's not just one person, I guess, that she feels she needs. Right. She doesn't want anyone to leave her. So that may, may explain why she was still engaging with the, the stepfather. Right. Um, and I think you would think that that, that dependent personality sort of would translate to the children. Like she would be dependent on them but again they're children they can't give her anything yeah and that part of that disorder like you explained earlier is you feel like you can't make decisions without someone's approval or input you feel like you can't be alone without someone's help and the children were children just Mm -hmm. that you know they can't give you advice or give you right companionship or anything like that but tom can in her mind so what's the choice here in her mind it's it's unfortunately um, harming the children, right? Yeah. So that's just, I, again, I'm trying to go through it with her, you know, mindset. Of course, this disorder makes people, any kind of disorder can skew your judgment and mm-hmm. your psyche. And she clearly admitted it later on. But the fact that she's, she was medicated, you know, during the time before she stood trial, 
who knows what she's getting in prison, but the fact that she's still able to manipulate and, and calm yeah. these men in jail is, is very interesting. When you, yeah, when you know that she probably has a regulation of some kind. Yeah, exactly. So. That was, mm. that's a really interesting one. And I think that's, I mean, that is the first time that we've done that type of diagnosis. Yeah, yeah, especially a dependent uh, disorder like that. It's yeah. really interesting. Well, I will say I have a really great case next week, um, but the one I'm doing after that is very similar childhood-wise to this person, ooh, which I okay. honestly was, like, at, at, not ooh, because yeah. ew, but, like, <laughs> at one point, I was, like, no, no, not the stepfather stuff, but before oh, okay. <laughs> um at one point, I was, like, is the person that I'm doing the person she's doing? And I just didn't know her real name. Like I was mm-hmm. really thinking that for like the first 10 minutes, I was like, Oh my gosh, we might have to, I might have to research someone else, but no, it's not that. Stay tuned for a collaboration happening in just a few, like what, two more weeks. It'll be one week after this comes out. So one, one week, week after, this comes out. after one you guys week. are hearing this, um, yeah. so it'll be next Thursday, the second we are going to do, should we just announce it? Maybe we should. We should just announce it. I think Get so. people excited for it. Let's do it. So we'll have a mental breakdown coming out on Monday. I have a very interesting mental breakdown. It's going to be, we always say this, way different than anything we've done. <laughs> it is going to be mental breakdown meets true crime. Mm. So it's going to be a complete medley um, of those two on Monday. And then next Thursday, the second, Coel. We are going to be in collaboration with Moviecation. Uh, we have been kind of excited about this for a little bit now. Mm-hmm. So essentially, we will be tackling. Don't say who it is. No. Okay. <laughs> so this is like the only time that I actually know. So <laughs> we are going to be tackling a case that is a very well-known case and has actually been the inspiration behind plenty of horror films. So Moviecation will also be incorporating this real-life individual with uh, some movies and some information. That is really, really exciting. I think they're going to be doing... Well, I'm not even going to say what the movies are. Yeah, no, don't. No, because you know how they roll. Yeah. They roll like us, so... Exactly. We're very, very excited for a collaboration with Moviecation. Go like them on Instagram. They are uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, we were just saying, um, usually, of course, you guys know that we don't tell each other who we're doing, but for this specific uh, instance, Koal does know who I am bringing, but we're really excited about it. Yeah. And I've had it researched for, like, literally a month now. It's just been mm-hmm. sitting in my computer, so I'm waiting to, to tell the story, and it's going to be one that you guys know, and it's going to yeah. be one that I actually didn't know as much as I thought I did, and I say that all the time, mm-hmm. but um, definitely a good a good story. I'm oh, exci- not a good story, but interesting <laughs> story. I'm excited to talk about horror films uh, in spring. So. Yeah. That's going to be something that you're going to have to be, <laughs> I mean, you're already knowledgeable about it, but I don't really watch things like that very often. So maybe I'll have to watch between now and then maybe I can get like some, you know, information of my own. And then I know that we also have a DAK live in the works. I'm really excited about that. We are going to potentially be doing one, I would say maybe the next couple weeks. Sure. Uh, we have a new guest that's coming on with us to do a DAK live completely unedited, completely raw. We don't know what we're talking about just yet, but yeah. it's going to be similarly to the Clark Finney episode. It's probably going to be personal yeah. stories and just just a kind of general conversation about mental health, mental illness, things yeah. like that. We're all going to so, have to fit in this closet too. We are. Yeah, so. it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be hard, we'll but we'll rearrange some stuff. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that is all. Do you have anything else? No, I think that's it. Okay. Well, we mm. will see you guys later. Thank you for listening and thank you for all of the support on social media. We yes. are getting up there with our followers. And if you would like to, please check out our sponsors. They are great. You can see the links in all of our uh, show notes. And then on every episode, we have um, something in our show notes for 
that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is all we have, and we will see you later. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Whether it's your favorite browser or by app, listening to audiobooks with Audiobooks Now makes it even easier and more affordable to enjoy your favorite books. Audiobooks Now offers up their club price plan, which includes 50% off your first purchase each month and additional offers after your first purchase. Click the link in the show notes below to receive two months free and just $4.99 for each additional month. Get audiobooks you love for less with Audiobooks Now. Start your free trial today.